Welcome to the CRE Exchange Podcast, where we deep dive into the global trends and challenges of CRE professionals across all sectors of the commercial real estate industry. We engage with experts in this space to bring you innovative insights into industry practices, opportunities, and challenges to better inform your decisions. This episode is brought to you by Altus Group, a global leader in asset and fund intelligence for commercial real estate. All right. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of CRE Exchange. I'm Cole Perry, your host and senior market analyst here at Altus Group, a leading provider of asset and fund-level intelligence. I'm joined by Omar Elsrai, our U.S. Director of Research. Together, we'll share the latest news and trends in the CRE market that caught our attention. Omar, how's it going? Going well. Since we last spoke, there have been some important moments in the macroeconomic scene, a sharp rise in the Atlanta Fed's GDP now forecast, and some eye-opening insights from the Fed minutes and discussions at Jackson Hole. What do you think these suggest about our kind of broader economic direction? Yeah, so last time we spoke, I feel as though we may have set a positive tone a little too soon and I think last week we learned that there seems like there is too much of a good thing. We had a number of very positive and strong prints from the overall economy. As you pointed out, the GDP now, which is a running estimate of real GDP growth put out by the Atlanta Fed, made some rather significant moves on a number of big economic releases and jumped pretty substantially. So I think on our last call, we cited a 4.1% GDP growth estimate from GDP now. But in a matter of days, that was the August 11th reading. But by August 15th, it was up to 5%. And by the 16th, it was up to 5.8%, which is a little bit concerning because that Even though that is a positive number, the markets really read that as potentially being too hot. That combined with the release of the FOMC minutes that really came off as a bit hawkish because the Fed governors put in the minutes that they had a a bit of a hawkish tone, right? They noted that there was still significant concern that inflation may take off again. And it could be an upside surprise, which that, of course, means that the market was concerned that more tightening would be on the table. I would caveat this with the fact that the Fed had been guiding that they weren't taking additional rate hikes off the table. But I think that was something that seemed to have caught the market off guard. And we saw some pretty significant action in the rates market. Specifically, I would call out U.S. Treasury, the 10-year benchmark really hit levels not seen since October of 2022, jumped up to 4.3%. But what really caught my eye was the the 10-year Treasury index to inflation, which jumped to 1.97%. And that doesn't seem like a big number by itself. If you look at the last 10 years, this is over two standard deviations outside of the 10-year range. And then finally, I would point out in the rates market, the 30-year fixed rate mortgage crossed 7%. And that is home prices are still quite high. 
and not showing any signs of really letting up. So despite all of the better than expected earnings and a lot of strong economic prints, the market viewed this as and interpreted all of this as potentially more rate hikes on the table. And I would say as rates go up, that's interpreted as pain. So, right. I took a look at some of the kind of higher rate environment impact on CRE transactions uh, recently. And I know obviously higher interest rates means cost of capital is up. And so your hurdles needed to get the correct return to make those pencil out. There are few and far between. So how's that playing into, so what were some of the trends that you were seeing there in terms of pricing or real estate transactions? Um, Just simply because there are so few to these transactions that will pencil out in this environment that it's a self-propagating cycle, right? So you have few comparable transactions by which to base your pricing on. And so that cycle just keeps going. And so when you dig into the numbers, it looks like cumulative volume for transactions is down below where it was in 2020 overall, uh, about 17.5% from its 2020 level at the same time three years ago. And office um, is even worse, as would be expected, right? It's at its lowest level since 2010, and it's down nearly 50% from 2020. Even more, so let's take a 10-year average, and up to this point, each year in the last 10 and it's down 56% from the 10-year average, um, which is pretty, pretty remarkable. So I think the key here, too, is that when it comes to office, so few transactions are happening that it's actually sort of masking the expected distress. We don't know what prices are, and they've not fallen low enough to make some value-add investments even make sense. And so you look at this from the perspective of foreclosure sales, which you'd expect there to be a lot of with with the distress. And we're actually lower than the average of the last 20 years of foreclosure sales level per year. So it's pretty remarkable. And I think that unless we, until we actually get clarity on these rates or they start to go down, we're going to be in a pretty tough spot with transaction volume and sellers and buyers are going to have an incredibly tough time reaching a consensus. Yeah, it seems like the rates have really clouded and the biggest concern seems to be the confidence, right? There's no confidence with what things are priced at and it's tough maybe to digest the impact that these rates do have. What do you view as getting the market to function again? Frankly, I'm not sure what gets the office market to function again. I think that some of these particular properties, I call them commodity space. We just don't even know who the buyers are. The lenders don't want the keys back to them because they may not even find a buyer. This space is probably old, has heavy tax obligations. We don't know who these buyers are. I think that you will start to see movement. You're still seeing quite a bit of movement in the retail space. And that's one sector where relative to the historic average, you're doing okay. But again, I think unless, it seems like every time we bring this up, the Fed indicates there's going to be another hike or two. And I think until we get some clarity on when there's one last one, then we're going to be in a tough spot. It's going to be hard to figure out values across the board. Yeah. Another indicator that I love to watch is the CME Fed Watch tool, which uses the futures market to calculate the implied probability of rate hikes. And with last week's news, you did see a shift where the 
market was about 90% viewing it as the Fed would not hike in their September 20th meeting, but that has shifted a bit to now think that there's an 86% priced in probability that there won't be a rate hike. So I think that does speak to your point. But you mentioned retail. I know you were listening to a lot of the retailers come out with their earnings. Did you have any nuggets that you could share? Yeah, last week was big for retail earnings and it was some mixed messages, right? So we had Walmart, Home Depot, Target, TJX companies who owns TJ Maxx, Marshall's Home Goods, mix of discount retailers and some other retailers that have exposure to many different parts of the economy. Walmart smashed expectations. Same store sales. I think analysts expected they would be up 4% year over year and they were up 6.3%. That was massive. So Walmart is actually in their earnings call. They've stated that they've made some significant inroads in the grocery market share that they've captured from some other upscale retailers. Folks fed up with inflation going bargain hunting, and they've ended up as Walmart customers. Home Depot, obviously a lagging indicator for the way the housing market is going, right? So Home Depot experienced heavy unusual traffic during the pandemic for folks picking up these DIY projects. And they're trying to function in a more like normal environment. So their sales were down, but again, their sales were down like 2% year over year, but uh, relatively high compared to some pre-pandemic like normal environments. Target was the big one that had some mixed news. They did beat earnings expectations, but sales were down quite a bit. And so they have really struggled to capture their niche in the retail market. They had a lot of inventory that they onshored during the pandemic, and they've been getting rid of that, but they're struggling. They're preparing for the worst. They're preparing for another downturn. They're losing customers to other discount retailers like Walmart and even like some of the clothing retailers. I think where where we really see the retail picture come out is in those discount retailers. So TJX had a great quarter as well, positive year-over-year sales and profit growth. And interestingly, this is where they tie into the other retailers. They've really benefited from all the other upscale retailers onshoring all this product during the pandemic because now they have to get rid of it. And so that inventory ends up heavily discounted and sold at TJX stores or at Ross, um, who also had their earnings call last week. And this is really a signal that folks are trying to bargain hunt now, that inflation has really caught up to the consumer in some respects, and they're really turning to these discount stores. What am I watching this week? So we have Lowe's, Dick's Sporting Goods, Dollar Tree, and Burlington. I think you might see the same story with Lowe's as you would with Home Depot. Dick's Sporting Goods would be an interesting one. I think a lot of people... I expect that their sales are going to be lower because durable goods, recreation equipment are the first things to go when times get when economic times get tough. Dollar Tree in Burlington, I expect to have relatively good quarters, but we'll have to see. Yeah, I think a lot of the discount stores and retailers are quite probably quite well positioned, especially if they're whether it's higher for longer or if something does potentially crack, right? We've been tracking the the American consumer is still buzzing along, which is great, right. but also eating through a lot of their pandemic built savings. So there is that question of like, how much longer can they go? And 
if they are going to keep going, they might start shifting down, right, to, to more right. discounts. And I think that we have to look at the impact that student loans coming back online may mean for some of these retailers. A lot of pandemic savings will go towards paying those down, or folks will just price that into their consumption at places that they might not get necessities, right? Yeah, absolutely. Those come on end of October, right? Or I believe so. What do you think might be the impact on retail real estate from some of these retailers? What are you seeing in that realm? Yeah, hate to give you the answer, but it depends. But it, it, it really <laughs> depends, I think, on timing, right? So the consumer has been way more resilient, right? And in terms of their appetite for spending, we went through revenge, travel, and leisure. And I think a lot of the hospitality REITs and hotel management companies were still painting a rather positive picture. But whether that was the last hurrah, or if there really is still a significant market for this discretionary spending. Personally, I think it's a matter of time because just the either the depletion of savings when you're looking at the aggregate level will catch up or ultimately the cost of financing any sort of additional spending is, I don't think that the pace that we have been spending at, and I'm saying we collectively as an American consumer, is entirely sustainable in a market where I know we've been talking about cost of capital, but like when it gets to the personal level, right? You're either using savings or you're using some sort of line of credit and credit card rates have hit historic highs. How that spending is being financed is likely going to break or some people will start pulling back. Yeah. I think particularly those financed purchases, auto, furniture, those are real estate intensive products. And so we'll probably see that impact directly in the short term. Yeah. We haven't necessarily seen the deterioration play out fully in the consumer financing quite yet, but there have been some, I would say, indications that, you know, the whether it's delinquencies or charge offs are starting to tick up slightly. So worth watching. So Omar, noting some of these trends about retail, what kind of downstream effects do you think this has for the industrial sector? Yeah, so I think if we did see a notable pullback or contraction in consumer spending, it is bound to have an impact and affect the industrial space, which has benefited so greatly over the last decade from the shift to e-commerce and how we do consume, what we consume and how we do consume that. While we haven't gone through a recession or we haven't seen a similar situation play out fully where industrial was playing such a big role in consumption, I would think that if you break it down logically, the consumer habits have been a, such a big key driver for industrial's strong performance, notably distribution centers. I would think that if that were removed, you would only expect there to be some sort of negative impact to the industrial sector, especially if there's a robust pipeline of new product as well, if you remove any of the demand, it will likely play out in the supply and demand dynamics of that market. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think the one thing that makes this different than probably would be in other cycles, the industrial associated with e-commerce 
is a lot more square footage intensive than the industrial associated with traditional brick and mortar retailers, right? So where you can store your inventory in physical stores as a brick and mortar retailer, and you're effectively just storing things temporarily in industrial space, anywhere from a quarter to a third of an e-commerce associated space or a third-party logistics provider associated space in the industrial sector is just simply processing returns. And so that'll have to be factored in when we think about the industrial space, the industrial space's impact based on retailing. Excellent point. Yeah, definitely. Is there anything else you're looking out for this week? I'll be tuning in on Friday and reading articles around Powell's speech coming from uh, Jackson Hole. But otherwise, we'll be watching the market digest the final leg of earnings. All right, Omar, I think that's all the time that we've got. But I want to thank you for joining me and hope to see you guys next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the CRE Exchange podcast powered by Altus Group. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Altus Group, a global leader in asset and fund intelligence for commercial real estate. At Altus, we bring together capabilities across technology, analytics, valuations, tax, and development advisory services. We are guided by bold thinking, integrity, and inclusivity, partnering with CRE professionals to maximize opportunities with exceptional service experience. Find out more at altusgroup.com.